Hi, I'm Karen Pollard and welcome to the Challenger CEO podcast. Today I'm joined by the amazing Neetha Yuren, who is the CEO and founder of the Recovery Coach Academy. So without further ado, welcome Neetha and great to have you on here. Oh, thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. It's absolutely fantastic. And I can see that we still uh, have the afterglow from last night. So what happened last night? Oh, my daughter and I received the award for from the Lincolnshire Enterprise Awards for Business with Purpose. So, yeah, just sort of put a stamp on what we do and how we do it and that we're on the right track. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I know your business slightly more intimately, but for anybody else that hasn't heard it before, what is the Recovery Coach Academy? Oh, it started as uh, me just realizing that some of the services that supported families in the States that I'd been lucky enough to have available to us were not available in the UK. And I sort of became a little bit of an upset mama and I wanted to make a difference. Um, so we had recovery coaches throughout a journey of family recovery in the US and we really struggled to find that Um They might have been here with the same title, but it wasn't the same feel or the same vibe. Um, So we decided I was just going to do it. And so I started on the mission of just delivering some recovery coach training that we worked with somebody on. And then we ended up getting really involved with the Connecticut Community for Addiction and Recovery, who are just global leaders in recovery. And their CEO said to me, if you build it, they will come and we will help you. And we have just continued every day and that building is going on. So more than training now, community, resources, support, just whatever comes on our plate. If it promotes recovery positively, we want to say yes. Mm. And you talk a lot about your core values being uh, supporting the multiple paths to recovery. Mm. What does that mean? I think... um, Many people think that there's only a couple of options to find recovery from substance use, addiction, gambling, alcohol, family recovery, all of that stuff. And in reality, there are so many, and it might not even have a label as a recovery pathway, but it can be a pathway. So when we start changing the context and the framing and the availability of these things, they all add to a recovery pathway. And there are so many We like to say recovery should be a buffet. You can choose as much as you want or you can have all of one thing. It doesn't matter, but you're just invited and you have a choice. That's phenomenal. Mm, mm. And in terms of choice, what, what is that choice that you are suddenly exposing people to? Well, I think firstly, it is the fact that you can have a recovery coach, (laughs) you know, um, We experienced in the States recovery coaches who worked in emergency room departments, in community centers, supported grandparents raising grandkids, family recovery, um, access to different sorts of meetings, not your typical mutual aid. There are so many, you know, grandparents raising grandkids, families, building, parenting, how to get a job, all these things just culminate in enhancing people's recovery and helping them maintain long-term recovery. If we only welcome people in for 12 weeks, what happens when they have a problem two years later? Instead of being a resource at that point, 
to prevent any reoccurrences, we're able to intervene, you know, and then hopefully that just helps people build on that cumulative recovery over time and they go on to maximise not only their personal lives but their professional lives, their family relations. They become good citizens, members of the community. Um, They become people like us getting an award for doing something good. So, Mm -hmm. you know, why doesn't everybody have that chance, that opportunity, or the ability just to see others do it so they have hope? Yeah, yeah. So from your point of view, having this business that you've built is obviously built and based on lived experience. Yeah. Do you care to delve more into that? Sure. Um, I think, you know, lived experience has become a bit of a buzzword in the UK. Um, And it's like somebody said to me once, and I heard William White, who's a famous researcher, say, you know, all these people can support it, but without lived experience, you can't role model that to me. You know, and lived experience comes in so many ways. You know, it's not, you have lived experience, Karen. It's just different lived experience. So why do we need to standardize lived experience? Our lived experience cannot be standardized. We are four generations living under one roof, age nine to 81, absolute controlled chaos, but full of love. And, you know, that's the lived experience. You know, my daughter, I have a personal journey in recovery. My daughter has a personal journey in recovery and surviving domestic violence. We've got lived experience of how we held our family together internationally with, what, 6,000 miles between us, you know, and that's all lived experience. We've got lived experience now of starting a business so we can help other people with that lived experience. It just comes in so many formats, but I think, you know, going through the trials and tribulations that we have gone through, seeing our family broken And looking back on where we were just five years ago, five years ago, I didn't even know if my daughter was going to be alive today. Really? You know? Wow. Um, So February next year, Valentine's Day, her boyfriend almost murdered her in a domestic violence attack. So in that less than five years, we've saved our family. We've relocated most of them to the UK. We've figured out how to be a family living in recovery. And we've set up a business and now we're positively impacting other people. And it's just amazing. And when I say that, I kind of want to cry a bit because I still don't believe it's like my life. And that's a bit of that probably imposter syndrome thing that CEOs talk about sometimes. But it's it's challenging, but it's amazing. And when I take the time to breathe and just think about how far we've come and what our lived experience looks like. You know, if it can help anybody else, then why wouldn't we do it? Absolutely. So I don't know, you probably can't tell here, I've got tingles all over. Just uh, hearing that story, it's it's just show, it's testament to the strength that you have mm. and your own individual inner strength and, and building not only the security around safety around your own family, but thinking with purpose and mission How am I going to make a bigger impact? So obviously you're the first Recovery Coach Academy in the UK. What what was there before? And where's the gap? What is the gap that you're filling? So 
Before, as in me, before I had a background in hospitality management, student accommodation management, and I think no matter what, looking back in all those roles, and I previously worked a long time ago as a licensed chemical dependency counselor, no matter whether I was dealing with customers or students or team members, I was always a coach. I was always a cheerleader. I was always a motivator, sometimes to my own detriment, mm-hmm. you know. Being a um, giver does that. Yeah. And then when I kind of experienced a recovery coach in my life um, and then had somebody who actually saw it in me at a time when I didn't see it in myself in the States, um, somebody recommended I sign up to do the recovery coach training. And I ended up signing up and the course date started the day after I dropped my daughter off at residential drug rehab. And I just thought I shouldn't be there. I thought my family is in chaos, you know. Um, And when I rocked up, they just told me I was in the right place and I was probably one of the best people to be there. Mm. And that really affected me because when I came back to the UK, everywhere was like, oh, you've got to have two years in recovery. Oh, you've got to be this. You've got to have ticked this form. And I was like, if I don't tick all of those and I'm not that, I can still be of service. So Mm -hmm. there's a gap there. You know, what's the difference between one year, 11 months and 30 days and two years? Yeah. Why do we need to put people in a box like that? Um, And then also just realizing that actually people needed support. You know, I was probably 18 years into my recovery journey and then you have a child impacted by substance use. So I needed support. And so why aren't we providing that support to people who need it farther down the journey? Mm -hmm. And um, my daughter went to a local drug service to seek support when we moved to the UK. She was 97 days in complete abstinent recovery. Um, She basically asked for help to figure out how to learn how to use public transportation, how to change her US CV into a UK CV, and where to find some support meetings. And she, the basic response was, go out and drink tonight. We'll put you in a 12-week program tomorrow. Uh, nothing about CV. Let's just get you signed up on benefits. And it was like they didn't even hear what she had said. And so that just really set a fire in me. I was a pissed-off mama, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, excuse me, sorry, but I was. And I just found that there's this huge gap why aren't we meeting people where they're at, really listening to them and doing that? Mm. And so, yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people, after following the Dame Carol Black report, a lot of people started talking about recovery coaching. And I've, I've got lived experience in it. And that's the difference. I lived and was part of these communities and had a recovery coach or multiple for a couple of years. And then in a way, COVID was a blessing because all the things they continue to do to support people in the US were now available to continue to support our family online. So we, through that, built this fabulous global recovery community. I mean, we've got people who train with us and still engage with us and are part of that in Singapore, Australia, America, Spain, um, just I'm amazed. I just, I got shivers then saying that because I never would have thought 
that this would be where we were at today. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And recovery coaches start to fill the gaps. Yeah. Until there is a system or a process or an organization that can become the gap filler. And it sounds as if you're probably going to be very instrumental in that, you know, find the solution or create the solution. And that sounds like exactly what you've been doing. You've been incredibly humble in terms of describing (laughs) uh, the Recovery Coach Academy and the impact that you've had. Talk to me about the scale of the business. Where is it at and where did it start? And, you know. Oh my gosh. So it started with some post it notes on a kitchen window in a dodgy three bedroom house with five people and a huge dog living there. (laughs) And that became just go with it and try it to a beta test of a course online with a dodgy email server deliverable and a Zoom link. Um, And I think what happened from that was we realized immediately that those people were not going back to a recovery coaching community. They were not going back to places, organizations where recovery coaching was talked about. So instantly that just made the response for us going, we need to create that for them. You know, we don't want this to be a book that goes on a shelf that nobody does anything with. There is no point doing the work we do unless we create a ripple effect because it can't be limited by our capacity. Um, And that was a bit scary, you know, because kind of, oh. (laughs) So we created a community and now that community is almost 500 strong. So they are all people that have committed to at least five days of Recovery Catch Academy training with us through CCAR. Um, and a lot go on. Some people have been in that community since that very first beta test course, and they still engage with us. Um, you know, we created, we want to meet people where they're at instead of between nine and five, you've got to have an appointment three weeks in advance. So we have WhatsApp groups, we have Facebook groups, we have Facebook Messenger, we direct message people by Instagram, we talk to them by email. And just we adapted to what that community needed versus Mm. saying, this is what we have to offer. I hope it fits you. Mm. And And I think that was... Yeah, sorry, carry on. I just think that was the kind of pivotal moment of, Mm. yeah, creating creating relationships, not transactions. Mm. Mm. I think that's incredibly key when you do have a community. It's about the connection Mm. Uh, the the sense of belonging, the tribe, yeah. and yeah. and how you're serving them, and I think the the content that you've developed around that is incredibly important. Yeah. The business has accelerated a lot quicker than what you expected yes. it to. Um, so, what are the conversations and partnerships and the day to day like now compared to when you started? Um, I guess kind of in the scheme of the name of your amazing podcast, Challenger CEO, (laughs) um, I've had to realize I'm becoming a CEO. I'm not just a mom working with her daughter running this nice little business. Um, We've realized now that we're really having an impact. Um, And with that has come all those changes that come when you kind of have to step up in a business. So I would say now, initially, we worked a lot with one-to-one individuals. Now we're starting to work a lot with organizations. Right. Um, The conversations very much are about how do we implement 
And that has to be each community implementing what their community needs. So there is no box standard formula. Mm. Um, So figuring that out along the way has led me to just know that if I can be responsible and passionate and authentic and give as many people the tools and almost that permission, that support, that empowerment to take those tools and adapt them how their community needs, then that's where they get the win, Mm. you know. But it's also about being there in the background as well. So as a CEO, kind of when you work with organizations, all of a sudden you have to set up invoicing and account systems and you hire an accountant. And it's just, I think a lot of the skills I had previously from working for others, but what I realized was when you work for somebody else, There's this amazing thing called a phone on the desk and you pick it up and you dial extension 216 and there's an IT guy at the end or there's an accountant at the end or there's somebody who writes great PowerPoints, proposals. And now we do it all ourselves Mm. and we literally do it all ourselves. So most people look from the outside into our company and see a really nice website and us and what that has actually been has been at least 60 hours a week of both of all three, my husband, my daughter, and myself. You know, I'm very fortunate that my daughter loves social media. And so she picked that up and ran with it. And she didn't even know how to use Canva at the beginning of COVID. And now people want to hire her Mm. for her skills with Canva and social media. And they can't have her. No, no, no. no. <laughs> just, just no. My husband had an amazing skill of logistics and website design and graphics and spreadsheets. And so he stepped into that role for us. Um, but, you know, if you calculated that, that's, you know, 180 hours a week for two years. Mm-hmm. So it's not overnight and it's mm-hmm. not without hard work. And I never would have been able to do it if I had to pay them as in hire that skill out. So I am highly aware, highly grateful, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've had to, it's been hard to kind of invest in myself through the process too because I've had to, uh, you know, engage with an amazing group of women through, you know, mastermind and coaching with them. And I'll never forget when I thought about doing that. It was right around Christmas last year. And I said to my husband, I either have to quit now or I'm in too far to get out. And he said, what do you have to do? And I said, I think I have to invest in myself to get through the next hurdle. Mm. And he was like, I got your back, babes. Wow. And we did it. And um, yeah, so it's a combination of a lot of different things. And it's also today, now, it's being willing to learn. It's also being willing to take a risk mm. on myself. And those risks get a bit bigger. And when I have the waves of self-doubt, they're just waves now. They're not tsunamis, you know, because they used to be. Um, But life is very different now, you know. It's it's interesting and it's a journey and I'm just going, I may not know what the next step looks like, but I'm going to take it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's changed then to move from those tsunamis into these smaller waves and you've touched on two things there stepping into the CEO role and imposter syndrome Mm. and and whilst you've been building 
yeah. this thing that they're all coming to and and trying to knock down the doors to. How how are you still? How do you manage that? Those moments of self doubt. Um, I think you know if I put it in the sense of like, even when you start stepping into a CEO role and you have to manage cash flow, you know. There were huge tsunamis about, oh, my gosh, will we be able to pay the bills? Because you have to invest and you have operating costs. And they used to be really like, oh, my gosh, (gasps) whole breath, hyperventilating kind of thing. Whereas now I'd say I still have them, but I actually am able to just pause long enough to go, okay, it is what it is. We're going to be all right. We still, the roof will be over the house. Nobody is going to die. You know, I can manage it. And they do get easier, but I'll never forget one of my dear friends, Kate Bailey, um, who runs Love Sober CIC. She said to me in Hebrew, there are two words for fear. And one is about that fight or flight fear, but the other one is about just the fear of stepping into a greater space. Mm. And I had never had that differentiation. Fear to me was fear. And then I put them all together. So everything became fight or flight. And often I tell myself, this is just fear of stepping into a greater space. Um, And so that helps me manage it because I know nobody's going to (laughs) die. You know. Mm -hmm. And then with the imposter syndrome, I think I sought validation from a lot of external sources during that first sort of year. I thought I had to be in with certain people who were seen as leaders in the government recovery movement and research and things like that. Um, And I didn't get any validation. I didn't get, you know, and I was so used to recovery community organizations in the States where they would be like, hey, how can we help? What can we share? What do you need to know? You know, that it felt really, I felt rejected. And then somebody said to me, you're just being redirected. Mm. And I was like, okay. And so just I had, I gave myself, I think it was 30 days. I said for 30 days, I'm not talking about it. I'm not thinking about them. I am just going to head down, do the right thing every day. And um, that kind of got me through that. And I just, it gave me that sense of, I could believe in myself and I may not get it right all the time, but I could just do the right thing. And if I made a mistake, I'd get it wrong. And when I say right, that's what my mentor, Phil Valentine, says to me. He says, right means act with respect, integrity, gratitude, honesty, and transparency. Mm. And so if I do those things, if I do those things and just know that I'm not going to get it right, okay, but don't let that stop me, Mm. it helps to manage it. Having great friends. You know, Karen, you've been on WhatsApp cheering me on some days when I've gone, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? And, you know, but having that circle of people that support you. Mm -hmm. And for us, that's allies of recovery. You know, you may not have been directly impacted, but you can move mountains for people in recovery. You know, I mean, allies are so powerful because they are the voice that will often be heard above somebody with lived experience. That's it. That's it. And do you think that's because of the stigma attached? Yeah. Yeah. I think we do a lot of things. You know, that's why we say my goal is to promote positively recovery, not talk about addiction. 
there's a stigma attached to that word. There's a stigma attached to so many words. Um, and when we can educate allies about language, about, you know, conversations, about supporting people in recovery without enabling them and just being their friends, that changes the conversation. You know, when you've got campaigns that can be perceived negatively, it does not help recovery. Mm. Mm. You know, um, so, yeah, we just continue every day to just try to educate. People often contact me and their first words are, you know, around addict, addiction, all those kind of words that have that. And if we just change that language quickly in that conversation, you can feel the person change. Yeah. 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 And some of the people that you've worked with, you've got amazing success stories, not only in terms of their own personal recovery and development and growth, but the impact that they're making. I I see you as creating a recovery ecosystem (laughs) <laughs> and but you're you're the mother, you're the mother spider <laughs> web together. Oh, oh, I tried to. I used to say. I still say it occasionally. I'm the glue to four generations. And the beginning of this year, I had this like belief that I was going to become the head of a multi occupancy house where four competent, capable adults live there. My family didn't take that too well. I'm still <laughs> didn't the get them. <laughs> yeah, still the glue. <laughs> What does the next 12 months look like for you? Uh, Being brave, being authentic, being vulnerable when I need to be, um, but not being afraid to just go for it and try and keep going. Um, We are working with some amazing organizations in the US, in the UK, um, I had on my vision board that I hope to bring the Multiple Pathways of Recovery Conference with CCAR to the UK um, within five years. And it looks like we're going to be doing that next August um, with an amazing partnership with the University of Lincoln and CCAR in Connecticut and ours. And so that's really exciting. And that's just kind of like, you know, that imposter says, who am I to do this? And then somebody says to me, who are you not to do it? And um, yeah, and I think it's just remembering that and it's having faith and believing, you know, when we were going through some of the worst times of our life as a family, all I did was just go, we'll get through this. I know I'll just make the best decision for today. And so now I get to positively apply that to something good. Mm. Um, And it is, it's just, you know, block out the negative criticism keep doing this is not for everybody and i by no means i'm saying everybody who works as a recovery support worker navigator needs to get fired and be replaced by a recovery coach what we need to do is all link arms work together come together as one voice you do your job we'll do our job let's make magic happen for these people and support them um so that's all i'm going to do next year i just want to link arms collaborate share what we do and then support people to implement it as best we can, you know. And some people just come to us and want to enhance their own personal recovery. So now we've realized our training actually becomes a pathway of recovery for some people who are curious, want to learn more, do more just in their personal life. Mm -hmm. And so I have no idea what the next 12 months looks like. I just think and believe they will be glorious 
that they will be challenging and that I have enough great allies around me to help me deliver what comes on my plate. Mm, Great, great advice. Yeah, Mm. that's fantastic. And what advice do you have for anybody that is very mission-led and purpose-driven and what, and they're so bound by that, but they have the conundrum of profit versus purpose. So, or can they symbiotically exist together? I think in the field where I work, I've received a lot of criticism at first. I mean, um, who are you to make money from this? You're a charlatan. There would people would book Zoom calls to tell me that. Wait three weeks from the time they booked the call. Um and I just, your yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's about perception. You know, I like to say lived experience is a bit like MasterCard, priceless. So um I just think that we need to educate people about the value that I don't just come with lived experience around recovery, I come with a whole load of more lived experience. And that is valuable, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I recently was in a conversation with someone and I'd often heard that I need to be giving what I do away for free, you know. How can you charge for that? Just a whole load of questions. And recently the conversation changed to you need to charge more. You know, your time is more valuable than this need to stop throwing, giving it away for free. Mm. And I will always give away some of my time for free. That is my heart. That is my passion. Some of the people we work with for free go on to move mountains. So that's not to be put to the side. But hearing that recently, you know, and if we're going to have a bigger impact, then we need to hire people. And I want to hire people with lived experience and I want to role model paying them a good wage. So you know, even though other organizations may provide free services to the end user, they have a huge budget. They're paying staff, they're paying rent, they're paying buildings. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. You know, in order to do good work, you have to make some money. You know, it is okay for me to make enough money to pay my bills, support my family, have groceries, and maybe one day get to go on a holiday again. You know, but that was a huge thing. And I think a lot of it was around the resistance to something new, the feel that it was a threat, the feel that, you know, I just think there's so many paths of recovery coaching and of coaching. You know, if you want to be ICF accredited, great. Yippee, go help people. If you want to be CCART recovery coach professional accredited, great. Super, go help people. If you want to be a business coach through another method, go, great. We don't have, we can all exist together and everybody else makes some money to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. So why shouldn't we? Mm -hmm. But it did take a long time to get there, as you know. You know, (laughs) I think I've probably been part of that conversation on and off for over a year. And it's really, when you care so much about what you do, You know, you don't want people to think you're in it just for commercial reasons. Mm. And that's what people have said. You're only in this for commercial reasons. And my response is just, you don't know me. You don't know our story. You don't know our family. So how can you say that? So if you want to have a conversation and talk to me and see if I'm just in it for commercial reasons, let's chat, you know. Mm. Mm. Uh, It's been a big learning curve. Yeah, yeah. 
Wow. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So is there anything we haven't spoken about that, I mean, we could be here for hours. It's yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, part two coming soon. Um, is there anything we haven't spoken about that's burning on your chest that you think actually, you know, you know, we'll be entering into we're entering into challenging times or we've never come out of challenging times. <laughs> <laughs> Is that you look at it? Exactly. What would what would a takeaway be that you would like people to remember? I think find somebody that believes in you because it makes all the difference. Mm. Just having somebody who supports you. Every time I speak to Phil Valentine, he just tells me, I believe in you. Continue. You know, because that's the name of his book now. Yeah. But, you know, and I didn't realize the power in those words consistently. Mm. So for over two years, that's been the conversation, mm. you know. And I just now, if I can say to somebody else, you know, I believe in you, just keep going. So find that person, find that tribe, and then just do it. Just, yeah. you know, I don't, some people may grow, set out to be a CEO, and even if that wasn't your dream to be a CEO, it doesn't mean you can't do it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and what I'm hearing there is a lot around permission mm. as well. And, yeah. you know, f- find, find those people that will support you, that allows you to give yourself permission yeah. or find a way to just give yourself the permission. <laughs> That's it. That really is it. You know, sometimes we don't want to give ourselves permission to dream, to jump, to go for it. And just one person saying yeah jump you know can make all the difference yeah Yeah. fantastic oh absolutely amazing so where can people find you oh well if you go on social media you'll probably find my daughter first (laughs) so um yeah so facebook and instagram and twitter and all those great places recovery coach academy and our website recoverycoachacademy.co.uk and we are just always ready for recovery conversations. So if in doubt, if you want to be an ally, if you just want to learn more, if you're just flipping curious, you know, come have a nose around. And if you want to have a chat, we're all up for that. Fantastic. All right, Ethan, well, wishing you strength to strength as you continue to build and grow um, on this journey. And and I think it's not just a, a, a house that you're building. I think there's a whole city. <laughs> oh, oh. So yeah. recovery cities is becoming a theme. So yeah. There we go. That will be yeah. our next conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, super. Thank you so much for having me. I love you to bits, Karen. You're just Thanks. amazing. And um, this is going to be a fabulous endeavor for you. Thank you. Thanks, Nita. See you yeah. soon. Take care. All right. Bye, babes. Bye. You've been listening to the Challenger CEO podcast with your host, Karen Pollard. Follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn. Instagram, TikTok at The Challenger CEO or subscribe at www.karenpollard.com forward slash podcast.